Hi, it's Damien Christoph here. Are you ready to take your life to the most incredible level possible in 2016? Well, we've had three sold out wellness summits these last few years, but honestly, nothing comes close to the wellness breakthrough and we have just three spots remaining. Your favorite wellness couch experts, the wellness guys, Karen Smith, Kim Morrison, Quirky Cookings, Joe Witten, Marcus Pierce, and of course, Carl Brock are gathering in the Dandenong Ranges for three days and two nights for one incredible event. If you want possibly the greatest peer group in health and wellness to help you catapult your life to the next level, then we'd love to see you at the Wellness Breakthrough from February 5th to the 7th. But again, there's only three spots available. Entry to the breakthrough is by application only, and to apply, simply email your contact details to marcus at thewellnesscouch.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work, and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. Welcome back to another episode of Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And today's hot topic is polycystic ovarian syndrome. Now, this is something that we know affects somewhere between 12 to 18% of women here in Australia. And of course, unfortunately, in Indigenous populations, even higher up to 21%. So a lot of women are being affected by polycystic ovarian syndrome. And today we're going to dive into a little bit about what it is, some of the signs and symptoms of what uh, happens to your body when you have experiencing polycystic ovarian uh, syndrome and also just understanding you know how it's detected and some of the things you might want to do to help you overcome what is a relatively traumatic diagnosis for most women because there's some implications in terms of fertility and reproduction and health and well-being and weight manageability there's a lot of implications that are really serious and i know that it upsets and affects a lot of women in so many different ways mentally physically psychologically psychologically um there's a lot to be looked into for this and we know how to how to solve these problems yeah look pcos um or pcos whichever way you want to sort of refer to it is a really complex condition um, I see the effects that it has on women every single day um, and it is a really complicated topic as well so today we're going to give you an introduction into what it is how to recognize signs and symptoms of things going a little bit haywire and we're going to try and debunk some of the myths around PCOS so we can really look at what some of the causes are and what some of the hormonal dysregulation is with it. We're going to leave you with some tools or some homework so that if you do fit into this category or you have been diagnosed with PCOS, um, there's some things that you can start to put into place that, you know, maybe your GP or your endocrinologist hasn't considered yet that you can start to change for yourself um, because it certainly is a very multifactorial type condition that needs to be addressed from all of those bases as well. Yeah, and classically we thought of PCOS as primarily an infertility disorder or just a cosmetic annoyance, really. Yeah. Um, and now we know that it's not just that, it's also a metabolic disorder yeah. and there's some serious long-term health implications if those underlying concerns are not addressed appropriately or correctly. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, like I said, it is one of the most 
complex conditions that I actually see, um, you know, that affect women's um, hormones. And it's one of the leading causes of infertility as well, which is really sad, but also, you know, makes things really complicated because of the way that you have to address it. Um, it's, like I said, multifactorial. It's affected by women's emotions, their thoughts, their diet, their personal history, their genetics. Um, it's usually the end result of a complex of series of subtle hormonal interactions. So that involves, like you said, both the metabolic syndrome or our metabolism and our endocrine system as well. So it involves that whole uh, hypothalamus, pituitary, ovarian, but also adrenal ovarian axis as well. Um, it's usually a diagnosis of exclusion too. So doctors may not have any other answers. So they'll kind of just, you know, paint you with the same brush and go, oh, maybe you've got PCOS. So I have lost count of the number of women who've come to me and said, I've got possible or probable PCOS. Um, and there can be a couple of different reasons for that. And one is that there's two different you know, parts, I guess you could say, to polycystic ovarian syndrome. So you may have polycystic ovaries without any symptomatology, or you may have the full-blown syndrome without actually having polycystic ovaries or, you know, multi-cystic ovaries. Super confusing. Which is why it makes it so confusing. And the thing that adds another layer of complication to it is that about 20% of quote-unquote normal women have ovaries that are polycystic in appearance. So is it any wonder why, you know, this issue is so complex, why women are so confused um, and, you know, why the treatment options medically or pharmaceutically speaking right now are not effective um, because you really have to take in every aspect of someone's health and lifestyle to be able to get real change. Yeah. Look, lovely listener, I'm sure that you're here listening because you've got your own story and your own experience with this. Um, And that's why we're sharing ours today too. Um, I guess I'm going to give you some background to me because this is really, I mean, all things, you know, interacting and all things down the line. I'm here today because of my diagnosis of polycystic ovaries. So to give you some background about my story, you know, and I hope just tune in for a couple of minutes if you're not interested to fast forward, but I think you're going to resonate and connect with this because my story is your story. I have heard this same story from so many women in so many different walks of life in so many different ways. And I'm just like, my gosh, but that's my story too. And it's such a classic sort of package of, uh, of leading up to a diagnosis, what happens at diagnosis and then what happens after that. And we want you to know you're not alone. And this is why. And so look, I was 19, um, second year of uni, and through the work as a chiropractic student, we're doing a lot of work with the body all the time. So there's a lot of touch and feel, a lot of palpation, a lot of stuff done with the body. So sometimes you just felt sore because you just thought, oh, hang on, maybe it's just be, you know, being pushed around every now and then because you're getting practice upon with others. But I kept getting really acute episodes of sharp lower left groin and mm. pelvic pain. And in most of the times it was actually a groin pain. So I kept thinking I've been straining my adductor muscle somehow with my training. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my groin is killing me. Like, what the heck? And I was, you know, really sort of tightened up and contracted. And then it would go away. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. But it was happening so frequently that I just eventually decided that it would be a good idea to go to the doctor and get a checkup. Mm-hmm. Um, first checkup, no musculoskeletal strain. So go back to your physio and get some work done. Go to your whatever. Just sort it out. It's a muscle. Okay, no problem kept happening and had had lots and lots of work on it and lots of different eyes checking me out and finding out the history and, and going through it. And the case workup was unremarkable for most ways. Mm-hmm. Back to the doctor. This time around, we decided that we'd do a 
urine tract infection test mm-hmm. and an SVI test. And I'm like, you know, not really sexually active at that point with one boyfriend. Like, he didn't have a whole lot to say about that. Yeah. But um, he wanted to test all those. Okay, went back, nothing there. So, again, dead end. Third time round was insistence. Something's wrong. We need to go further. You know, I'm in pain and this is not working. Like, I can't do anything about this. So, the next path was to do the pelvic ultrasound. So, if any of you have ever had this, I personally at 19 found an incredibly invasive procedure. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty unpleasant. Yeah, yeah. it's called transvaginal ultrasound and that means that they put a probe internally as well so that they can assess the ovary from the internal aspect. And you know, and that experience was really traumatic, traumatizing because I didn't get a really good explanation of what was going to happen mm-hmm. through the procedure. It wasn't really discussed very well and I was just being probed and I just felt really, really horrible about the experience. Um, but from that there was something there now. We actually had something to go with. And what it found was that my left ovary, instead of being about five centimeters, was 15 centimeters in length and dilated in a way that was 32 cysts present that they calculated. Okay. The other one didn't do too much better. It was 20 something cysts on the right side. So I was like, which ovary do you want to to deal with right now? Because they're both looking pretty bad. Um, being an athlete, I always had irregular cycles right from the get-go. Okay. So I really didn't know what I was up against anyway. So, you know, just as a high-level performance athlete, you don't really ever know your true cycle. I think a lot of my athletic friends had the same thing. They were yeah. either not there or they'd come and go or, you know, you'd go three months without one. And then all of a sudden, here we are. Now we've got uh, pollen 60 ovaries. No classic signs. I'm not overweight. I was, you know, mm-hmm. training twice a day, had a six-pack. So it's not exactly like a classic physiology for what we're looking at with polycystic ovaries. Yeah. But the absence of the cycle and the presence of polycystic um, ovaries was what the diagnosis was made upon. So yeah. the next solution was, do you want the pill or do you want metformin? And being 19, I had no idea about either really. Yeah, Aside yeah. from what I knew about the pill. Yeah. So it was the pill okay. for me. And then chronic cascade of health from thereafter. So uh, that's where we are today. You know, that's why we've mm. done so much homework and research on this. And I'm sure a lot of these out there too have been put on the pill or metformin for a diagnosis of polycystic ovaries. And we want to give you some options here and show yeah. you that there's other ways to look at this. And the more you learn, the more you understand, the better questions you ask, the better information you get and the better choices you make. Your story is pretty much classic as to what I hear. Um, you know, women will see on average seven practitioners until they reach a diagnosis, but often, again, it's a diagnosis of exclusion. So it may just be an umbrella term, um, even if they're not able to pinpoint whether or not there is actually multiple multiple follicles on the ovaries there. Um, let's talk about what the characteristics are of PCOS because actually you definitely do not fit that picture and that's what I'm seeing more and more in practice as well is that so many you know um very vital looking petite uh women are coming in who are fit who you know seem relatively healthy but have still got a diagnosis of polycystic ovarian syndrome or polycystic ovaries. Uh, traditionally, it was thought to be classified as, you know, there was a few different characteristics. So there would be traditionally weight gain. Um, and certainly that weight gain in around the, the tummy, the hips, the butt, the thighs, um, you know, in that sort of distribution is how I would normally see it. Um, there's the herstuism or the excessive body hair. So about 70% of women would have that excess body hair. And it's and, yeah. usually in male pattern hair growth as well so face chest uh, around the nipples um, stomach and even the back increased over the toes I mean just in those extra areas that most women don't have yeah yeah Uh, 50% of them won't ovulate at all 
so there's a lack of ovulation, lack of cycle, very irregular cycle. Often they have very long cycles. And the really confusing thing with PCOS is you either won't ovulate or your body will try and attempt to ovulate multiple times a month. So it's really confusing to either track your cycle or to figure out when you might be fertile. So one of the things as to why um, PCOS is, is so involved with infertility is that women don't know how to recognize when that fertile window is when they're actually ovulating because it is completely haphazard um, or haphazard in, in women with uh, with PCOS. Um, acne is certainly associated with the condition, especially on the jawline, so in that hormonal pattern yeah. along the jaw, in the chin. T-zone, um, oily skin, yeah, dandruff. Yeah. Um, water retention, uh, difficulty shifting weight, all of those things. But then it even goes on to... Um, you know the the list of symptoms that's associated with PCOS is a mile long. So you know anxiety, depression, um, things like insulin resistance. So a difficulty for your body to use or process the, the insulin uh, hormone that your body's making, then quite quickly leads to metabolic syndrome, which leads to obesity. Your risk of complications from PCOS is also heightened. So women with polycystic ovarian syndrome have a seven times risk of heart disease and heart attack uh, they have a much higher risk of developing type 2 diabetes as well uh, and this is certainly not a life sentence this is just what the statistics are saying or predicting at the moment can be associated with muscle aches and pains like what you experienced um, you might have symptoms of low blood sugar um, confusion dizziness increased hunger um, you're Someone might be unusually weak, really tired, um, they'll be cold, irritable, they might have blurred vision, fast heart rate, uh, all of these things. So it's such a mishmash uh, uh, of symptoms that go together that may all be putting those pieces of the puzzle together that would demonstrate, you know, PCOS. Um, but <laughs> confusing. <laughs> People don't normally fit the classic picture of that. Yeah, and it presents differently in so many different women. Yeah. So, look, I guess if you've ever had any of those, you know, symptoms or if you've got a diagnosis of um, polycystic ovaries or the entire syndrome where you've got the whole metabolic package going with it, then we're going to talk more about some of the things that you can be doing to assist your transition from this dysfunctional endocrine situation your body's in mm -hmm. towards one that's actually more supportive that will actually enable your body to do its very best work that it possibly can and we sometimes treat the body as if it's broken but more often than not we actually just need to remove the interfering factors to allow the body to express itself correctly and then we see the health expression rather than continually dumping in more stuff hoping we can fix the body um, yeah. often it's the removal of things that's going to make a biggest impact exactly and understanding what the theory of the causes are around pcos is really helps to put those pieces of the puzzle together and when you break it all down it just comes down to hormonal imbalance irrespective of the diagnosis that you're given um, what i tend to see is that women will wait for that diagnosis before they're willing to make change. But if you're having any of those symptoms like, you know, irregular hair growth, irregular periods, that is not normal. Um, maybe your ovulation is all over the place. Maybe your cycle is a lot longer than what it should be. This all comes down to hormonal imbalance and your body doesn't just wake up one day and go, okay, today we're going to develop PCOS just for the fun of it. 
it is a symptom of a dysregulation that's been happening for a while and you're you know there's interference in your system your body's not modulating these hormones correctly or moderating these hormones correctly and this is the end effect so it does the best it can with what it has um so let's but, go a little bit sciencey let's talk yeah. some pathophysiology which is you know that origin of where these things come from because a big question you know often here is why do women with pcos have trouble with their menstrual cycle and fertility and so let's explain that a little bit because it's really important you understand what's happening there so then you realize your body's not stupid it's simply adapting to the environmental stresses that are being presented to you so you know you've got the ovaries one on each side left and right and this is where the women's eggs are produced now they have tiny fluid filled sacs called follicles mm-hmm. um, or cysts you know if they're, they're called that way too and as the egg grows the follicle builds up with fluid now there's still a lot of reasons why they don't know why this next stage happens, but for the most part, the egg needs to mature and the follicle then breaks open and the egg is released. The egg travels through the fallopian tubes and then it goes to the uterus or womb and that's fertilization and that's your ovulation cycle. But in a polycystic ovarian cycle, you're looking at how the ovary doesn't make all the hormones it needs. So then you end up with an egg that doesn't fully mature. And so from there, the follicles start to grow and build up, fill with fluid, ovulation does not occur. And so instead, some follicles remain as cysts. For these reasons, hormones build up. Mm-hmm. And then you get this progesterone not being made. Without progesterone, the woman's cycle is irregular or absent. And then the ovaries will then make male hormones, the androgens, um, which prevent ovulation further so it's a really vicious cycle there's no one little pathway in that cycle that you can just fix and have everything back to normal yeah Um, so it's important you understand it's you know maturation of that egg that's being prevented because of irregulation in that hormonal balance through your through your endocrine system and without the mature egg it's impossible to be fertilized because it has to get to a certain stage in that maturation cycle to be viable as well um there's a couple of different factors to consider when we're looking at the you know the the causes or the pathophys behind pcos and one is the elevated insulin levels which will also um, increase or drive what we call the ovarian androgen production now androgens refer to male sex hormones and women have these in smaller amounts uh obviously men have them in more they are produced in the ovaries but also our adrenal glands as well and sometimes our peripheral tissue can produce some of these or can uh you know convert other things into these androgens as well so women should have these under you know a a certain within a certain range too little is also not good but too much is certainly going to wreak havoc um the the two main androgens that we're referring to in this instance that are responsible for the excess androgen uh you know symptomatic chain that happens are testosterone which we've all heard of and androstenin dion i can never say that correctly androstenin dion oh anyway i'll put it up on the facebook page you guys can uh, we'll we'll spell it out it's it's one of those long words enunciation is certainly not my strong point today um but the challenge is because these hormones are made from the ovaries but also from the adrenal glands you get this double whammy so when there is and this is why the metabolic syndrome comes into PCOS so with insulin resistance which is where okay say we eat you know a bag of lollies we've got all that glucose your body needs to the, the um, insulin receptors come and they take the glucose and they want to put it into the cell to use it as energy 
when we have insulin resistance, the insulin receptors on the cells get tired and burn out and they can't bring that glucose into the cell to be used as energy because there's just too much. So you have elevated um, blood glucose levels and you you know, so it's all free-floating throughout the yeah, blood rather yeah. than being absorbed into cellular tissue. And you can't use it very effectively as an energy source, so that's why you're still going to be craving sugar, even though, you know... You've got plenty of it in your blood supply. Exactly. Um, now, those elevated insulin levels actually dysregulate your ovaries' ability to ovulate. So that directly affects the uh, ovarian hormones, the ovulation process, the maturation of those eggs... But then that drives the androgen excess. So it's that, you know, uh, vicious cycle that happens there. But then let's add another layer to that. Because androgens are also produced by the adrenal glands, if a woman is chronically stressed... How many women are not chronically stressed right now? (laughs) So which women are not chronically stressed? Yes. You're going to get that adrenal androgen excess as well. So about 20, 30% of women with PCOS also have adrenal androgen excess. So this is not just an ovarian axis that you need to address. It's a cocktail for disaster. Yeah. yeah. It's the whole, it's the whole system. And then not surprisingly, there's also theories that say that inflammation in the system is also going to exacerbate this, these symptoms as well. And, you know, we know that inflammation is kind of adds to, to all of those things. Now, Insulin resistance is a tricky thing to get your head around. So if you want to know if you have a problem with insulin, uh, Dr. Mark Hyman, the guy who wrote The Blood Sugar Solution, um, brilliant book, uh, he has what we call a mirror test. So stand in front of them, stand in front of your mirror with your shirt off, jump up and down. If your belly jiggles, you've got a problem with insulin. It's as simple as that. Uh, so ladies, go... <laughs> Hit pause, go run and do that. It, it's a bit shocking, um, yeah. but it's going to give you a wake-up call as to whether or not you may have some issues with insulin and whether or not that's something you need to address. Well, I'm hearing a lot of people going, well, hang on, everyone's belly wiggles and jiggles, doesn't it? What, what do you mean by that? What, what, in what way are you talking about? Are you talking about like the body mass tissue just going up and down, up and down? If your tummy moves when you jump up and down and once you land back on the ground and you've got a jiggle there... Or if you can pick up your belly, you've got an issue with insulin. Those The muffin tops, you've got an issue with insulin. Wow. So just yeah. think about, you know, when you're walking down the street today, heading home from work, jumping on a bus, look at how many women and men, this is not exclusive insulin resistance, not exclusive to women in this situation, but it's certainly a contributing factor to um, polycystic ovarian syndromes. How many of us, you, them, people, yeah. are dealing with this? unrecognized it's not aware of the problem horrendously common common and this is why um that brilliant movie the that sugar film has been went off like gangbusters because sugar is an issue with in every food um in all parts of our life at the moment um a good you know and this is a place where we can start to make change so if you have polycystic ovarian syndrome, you have got to manage your blood sugar levels. Uh, sugar is going to be your worst enemy. And this is going to be um, something that you're going to need to be really vigilant on. You may even need to um, look at your fruit intake as well. Yeah. So, you know, all of those avenues where you're getting those sugars, whether it's chemical or natural, you're going to need to evaluate. Um, this is a hard thing to shift. But if you have these symptoms... 
you don't have the luxury of just being able to eat whatever you want anymore. You know, your body's already gone to that place where there's a disease process happening. There's enough dysregulation where your ovaries aren't able to function normally. Your adrenal glands aren't able to function normally. You've got to create a shift. You don't have the right to treat your body like that anymore. So, you know, this might be a pretty harsh wake up call for some people, but it's got to happen. Yeah. So look, I think the key there is, you know, polycystic ovarian syndrome is not out of your hands. Yeah. There is a big part of it that has a degree of control by what you put into your body each day. And a lot of us don't want to take that control. We want to say it's someone else's problem. Let's have a look at how mine could have been set up because coming from an athletic background, and this is where I've been really curious about the the higher incidence of polycystic ovaries in athletic females with, you know, body types that you'd say incredibly fit, incredibly Mm -hmm. lean, look fantastic, and yet they're still insulin resistant. You say, how is that possible? So they've just failed that test technically because they're going to jump up and down. There's not going to be a wiggle and jiggle. Yeah, yeah. And that's the really tricky thing about this. So athletic women, let's just have a look at classically how we're all fueled. Now, from my background, an era... 90s 2000s where it was still okay and unfortunately for a lot of panelists this is still okay filling up with like white rolls with honey and banana jelly snakes as a in-between race snack um i mean i'm talking sugar bomb extraordinaire the most amount of simple refined carbohydrates you could possibly have then you throw in some watermelons some oranges um after drinks you know gatorades and all the rest it was just standard fuel for junior athletes. And you were taught that that was healthy and you were taught that that were Absolutely. your nutritional so requirements. No blame on coaches, no yeah. blame on my mum or anyone else who ever was involved in my you know, nourishment because they didn't know what they didn't know. But we're here to tell you now, once you know this stuff, it is your responsibility to take the reins on this one and say, okay, I know and I choose. And you either choose to do something about this and take full responsibility for your condition and the situation you're in right now, or you choose to say, it's not my problem, someone else has got to fix this, and you head down that path of going to every professional under the sun who's supposed to try and fix you. Um, It's really hard to hear this, and it was really hard to hear this for me as well, because when I went down that path and I was offered the metformin and offered the pill, I took the pill went to my chiropractor and bless his soul. He's so honest and was so direct about this. He was just like, I was like, oh, what am I supposed to do? You know, I've got positive here. And he just looked at me and said, I'm not going to tell you. You are going to go and look up the pathways involved in insulin resistance. Yeah. And then you can come back to me and tell me how well you've been doing in terms of your fuel and your lifestyle right now and why you might be where you are right now without blame. And it wasn't a blame game. It's just simply saying, look, I can't make you do this and I can't do this for you. Um, I need you to go and learn enough that you suddenly feel that drive and that fire inside you to go, oh my gosh, what have I been doing? I have got to change and I've got to do that fast. And it was a really awesome experience in that. And, you know, like I still say to people, in all bad experiences comes some good. Mm-hmm. Reflecting back on that opportunity to change for the better has been one of the greatest gifts I've ever received. And that gave me a chance to overcome the big challenges that, that came from that polycystic ovarian diagnosis. But also forced you to not fence it anymore. Yeah. I'm not a passive. I'm not the bus passenger. Yeah. I'm the bus driver. I get yeah. to choose. Uh, I want to add another layer to this, and that is the... The traits that I see with women who have PCOS, okay, now this is 
very much a generalization. Okay, this is what I've seen in practice and the uh, the type of emotional conditioning that a lot of these women have that seems to be too uh, common to be coincidence. But typically, the type of women that I see that have PCOS are that A type personality. <laughs> So they are the overachievers, the perfectionists. Overachievers? You can't overachieve. No, you're a, you're a high achiever. You're a, you aspire to great things. High achiever. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was a misnomer there. Yeah. So certainly um, they are the, and that was kind of a perfect example coming from Ash. Uh, yeah. So they are the perfectionists. They're the ones who will kill themselves to reach their goals. And they also love to operate in that masculine men's world and stepping into that femininity is very difficult for them. Okay. Which is, I, I'm, I'm, this is pure speculation. And I'm wondering if that's something that also drives that androgen excess because being in that masculine male energy, that go getter environment, then not being able to switch off and rest is driving the androgens as well. I think you were just talking about me, weren't you? (laughs) (laughs) She's looking across the table at me. I'm like, yeah, you nailed it because that is my experience as well. Mm. And again, hard to hear because I'm like, Andrew's holding up a mirror for me right now and it's like, ooh, ouch. But at the same token, the other part of my, my soul calls me and says, she's right. Yeah, and something sometimes this is this is difficult to hear, and there's certainly a sense of denial that goes with a lot of this because it's like it, that typical A type personality is exactly as you said. There's no such thing as overachieving. <laughs> there's no such thing as uh, you know too much perfectionism. But it's just some things to keep in mind because of the role that stress has in this condition. It's certainly something you've got to manage. So let's look at some practical strategies that you can put into place right now that's going to help to shift this. So dietary changes and targeted lifestyle changes are critical. Uh, Let's look at some of the dietary stuff first. So this will have a profound impact on symptom severity. Okay, so maybe not completely addressing the the underlying causes, but will certainly help symptomatically. And that is avoiding the sugar, absolutely getting off the sugar. And, you know, this in itself will affect that insulin resistance. So if you need help with this, then you must seek your practitioners. It's the most addictive substance on the planet. It lights up the brain just like, you know, cocaine cocaine does. So if you can't do this yourself, it is not your fault. This is the way that food is being you know manufactured engineered to be addictive so we do want it so we can't get off it exactly yeah in my experience uh it takes at least two to three months for someone to really shift um the desire for those uh type of carbohydrates and those sugary things um so as you're cutting out the sugar and the gluten up your cruciferous vegetables so i'm saying at least two to three ish serves per day at least so those are oh yeah awesome green leafy vegetables your rocket your kale spinach um cabbage uh broccoli broccolini um brussels sprouts all of those sorts of things uh increasing your fiber as well because this actually increases your testosterone secretion secretion in your stool so this is going to be a detoxification pathway that you can actually uh start to leverage and also that healthy gut process means that you're not reabsorbing the excess hormones that have been expelled into your digestive tract exactly and all of your cruciferous vegetables is going to help to improve your liver clearance of the excess you know estrogens and androgens as well 
as well as optimizing your bowel function, which is fantastic because it's going to help to improve your progesterone levels. Uh, so it helps to improve your progesterone levels, which is fantastic. There's a whole bunch of supplementation that we can go into. We're not going to hit on that today um, because that is the, the next step. But these are certainly some changes you can make right now. These are some, some steps that I tell my patients and I'm absolutely vigilant about this and there's no room for too much movement here and that is absolutely no sugar or processed grains. Uh, decrease your refined carbohydrates so we're going to improve your gut function with some of the things we've just talked about. Um, increase your fiber so three to six cups per day or about 35 grams which is harder than it seems. Increasing your cruciferous vegetables, absolutely avoiding soy sugar and gluten which i've already talked about um i would also put dairy into that category as well this is going to be tricky for some people um making sure you've got good quality protein with each meal so clean protein organic if you can um and avoid alcohol as well so yeah. all of these are just going to be um just enabling the pathways and affecting all of your normal hormone regulation which is going to you know essentially enable the the pcos um, yeah and and symptoms as well you said it sounded tricky and i will agree with you on that yeah. however what's more tricky yeah you know changing around your diet and lifestyle right now because you have an opportunity and you can or dealing with a very complex cascade of issues down the track when you want to become pregnant, mm-hmm. when you'd like to have children, um, running on timelines with our fertility because, of course, you know most women today are making conscious choices about when they have a family. It's being later than it has been historically. Mm-hmm. So, again, we're running into a little bit of a deadline there. And this is not to put the pressure on you because, you know what, we can be fertile into our, our late 40s as well. But... We're talking about a general population of women in their 20s to 30s that are struggling with polycystic ovaries and don't know about it until they hit that desire to have children and suddenly wonder why they're not fertile. So you've got a chance to change that right now before it's even an issue and before that part of your life is even upon you. And a regular balance cycle is certainly a really good indication that you've got nice balanced hormones to a certain degree um if the risk uh so the seven times risk of heart disease and heart attack um and your chances of type 2 diabetes increasing so dramatically with this condition if that's not enough to drive you to make these lifestyle changes then i don't know what is and also to mention you've got um the risk of endometrial cancer yeah because you're not shedding that intramural lining as frequently as uh you're designed to and therefore more chances of uh, hyperplastic cell changes and that's leading to again increased risks of endometrial cancer so that was some driving ones for me i just thought you know what this is not good enough so these things that you've been recommended that Andrew's just discussed in regards to diet, these are all approaches that I took to get my cycle back on track. Yeah, awesome. You know, and I can honestly say um, it was not easy, but it was worth it completely because once I started to have a more regular cycle, albeit a little bit longer than a traditional cycle, but it's still regular in that degree. And that straight away told me that my body was doing a whole lot better inside out than it ever had been before. And, you know, okay, so it's not, you know, your typical cycle length, but I know, having mapped out mucus, you know, secretions and that, that my fertility is on track at a point when it never was before. I can honestly tell before there was no chance that I could have had children. So it is, you know, relevant. And, you know, whilst it's a timeline that we're we're all up against as women, we're looking at how to get our hormones good from day one, right from the very beginning. Um, But a lot of us struggle for so many years 
until finally one day it clicks as to what we need to do for ourselves, having exhausted so many resources before that. Uh, now, just to wrap up, we're going to give you some targeted lifestyle changes for you to address as well. And unsurprisingly, stress management, number one. And if you've tried things before they haven't worked, then try something else. You know, this is such... A big topic. There's so many practitioners out there that will help to facilitate this. Um, yoga and meditation are so popular for such a good reason. Um, anyone with PCOS, I would certainly recommend yin yoga because it's deep, it's very feminine, it's very relaxing. Um, and you know, seek the help of your practitioners. This condition is generally too difficult. For an individual to manage alone and you need support as well um, there's been some great studies that support vitamin D and the you know it's rolling you know pretty much every cellular function but certainly uh, assisting in this case um, there's a great study that I've read recently I'll stick that up on the Facebook page so you can all have a good read 15 minutes of Sun exposure per day so as much of your flesh in the Sun in that that time between you know 10 to 2 when they usually tell you to avoid it no sunglasses no makeup no sunscreen um, you know 15 minutes if you're not burning then that is awesome if you're in an area where you're not getting that kind of exposure then you may need to supplement um, because of how PCOS can damage the ovaries how it can lead to low progesterone issues um, your oral contraceptive pill or the mini pill and any kind of hormonal contraception or hormonal intervention is not going to fix this and that's a bit against conventional thought on yeah. this one but as far as we know it's been the best way forward is to get people off the pill and start to get some of these other things in check definitely and it's usually used as just one of those blanket you know prescriptions because oh you don't have a regular cycle let's regulate with the pill and we know that the oral contraceptive pill or any of the other hormonal contraceptions do not regulate anything they just check your own hormones out <laughs> out the door they go out and it completely disrupts those regulatory systems so your outcome is going to be worse if you do that. Um, so yeah, something to keep in mind. Uh, daily aerobic or weight-bearing exercise is really important. But because of the stress uh, associated with PCOS, there's a delicate balance. So not too little, not too much. This is certainly the time to include your practitioners to help gauge where you're at. Those A-type personalities, those peak performance athletes are going to be the ones that are going to want to air towards the, you know, going to CrossFit five times a week or running marathons or, you know, really pushing their bodies to the extremes. And this can certainly be your undoing with PCOS. But on the flip side, though, you've also got a lot of people, once you start to go down the cascade of PCOS, it does affect your mental health in a way that leads to depression and anxiety. Yes. So getting out and exercising and moving drives up those happy hormones in your brain yep. to also facilitate that mental shift away from those depressive tendencies and that feeling of worthlessness and inability to have any control over this this situation this body that you're in right now so whether you're a type or it doesn't matter it's just simply about movement drives the body drives the brain drives the health drives the hormones you got to get moving. Yeah. And it's a delicate balance. Yeah. So this is certainly something that one size will not fit all. Yes. So seek help with this one. Um, if you do fit that picture of the typical PCOS uh, syndrome, so if you are overweight, if you do have the excess body hair, all of that sort of thing, it is very beneficial to 
at work at bringing your body fat percentage below 30%. Um, there's a lot of evidence that supports the regulation of hormones that's different over, sorry, below that 30% for women that is, because yeah. as our body fat percentage increases, it actually drives uh, other hormonal production because that um, that fatty tissue is an endocrine hormone all unto itself. So certainly the androgens can be produced in that peripheral tissue as well. Yeah, so look, if you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 kilos overweight, let's not get overwhelmed by that big thing that, oh my gosh, I'm currently 50% and I need to get to 30%. Yeah. Step-by-step goals. So that means a 5 to 10% of your current body weight. So if you're 50 kilos, it's a 5 kilo or less difference you're looking for. If you're 70 kilos, again, you're looking for around a 7 kilo drop there just to gently bring yourself into that safe weight range according to your BMI of height and weight as well. So do factor that in a bit. Yeah, absolutely. What we're actually talking about is your body fat percentage though. So it's not just what you are on the scales, it's what that number is made up of. There you um, go, clarifying yeah. even what I was reading out of that. So good, yeah. I hope that clears that one because clearly I was looking at body weight and you're looking at body fat percentage. And I didn't explain that very well. Uh, and so there's many different ways that you can actually measure this. Um, I like using bioimpedance analysis to, okay. to look at that. Um, there's certainly many other avenues like a DEXA scan is also very accurate. Do biometric scales do the job? Because I know a lot of people have those in their bathroom. Um, look, if they do, you can use that as a gauge. Yeah. They may not be really accurate. So it's a good thing. Or calibrated to... properly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, true. And I haven't, in my experience, found calipers to be overly accurate um, at my gym at box 3 they use ultrasound which is pretty cool to look at body fat percentage as well which seems pretty accurate as well with the methods that they use um, so maybe try a couple of different ones and um, you know use some of the averages as to what yours might be um, sometimes it's a little bit scary as to what it is <laughs> yeah but then it gets real and yeah. then from there you've got somewhere to move and like you said dropping things down but I still stand by the fact that if you can just drop five to ten percent of your body weight you're moving in the right direction if you're overweight yes if you're so, overweight and yeah. that's just that first step because I just know so many people don't even try or think it's too hard because they just look at from where they are and where they need to be and that gap and that distance is so far yeah and you just think well I can't it's too much. I can't lose 30 kilos. Like it's just too hard. So just go for small increments, small change in the right direction is always going to make you healthier than where you are right now. And one thing that's going to help to facilitate all of that. And that is, uh, you know, one of the last points here and that is sleep. So that is going to help to flick that switch in your stress levels. It's going to put you into that nice parasympathetic rest and digest phase. So it puts the break on when everyone else is on you know, the accelerator. It's when your hormones are made. It's when your body detoxifies. Um, you, there's, there's actually books that are about you can sleep your way to you know, losing weight and all of that sort of thing. But sleep is going to be one of the things that you need to prioritize. So... Join the 10 p.m. club in bed by 9.30 to be asleep by 10. You need at least eight hours. And if you do have any underlying hormonal issues, you need to prioritize your sleep. So just to recap on your targeted lifestyle changes, stress management, get your vitamin D, um, rethink the pill, uh, get your body moving, but get help with that. 
and look at finding out what your body fat percentage is. Ideally, it should be below 30% and get some good quality sleep. So our polycystic sisters out there, we've got uh, all that information there for you. I hope you've taken something from this episode. I hope you realize that it's a problem affecting so many women and realize as well, there's a lot of things you can do that may not have been described or discussed with you just yet. And we're going to expand on this and we'll keep exploring this in further episodes. So you just get everything you need to keep that journey moving in the right direction. Do not give up. Don't give up on your fertility. Seek the right help. And we really look forward to having a chat to you and uh, tuning in with you next week so if you want to connect with us please go to facebook it's facebook.com forward slash the wellness women and we're going to be there to to check in with you and to share the experiences that you have so that we can help you along the way um if you do want to give us a five-star rating that would be awesome we'll share our message further and further afield when you do that um, if you feel as though we've been able to help you today have an awesome week and we'll talk to you next week be well we hope you enjoyed this wellness catch podcast brought to you by audible Do you find that you just don't have time to read all the awesome books that you hear mentioned on The Wellness Couch? Well, Audible might just have the answer. Audible is offering The Wellness Couch listeners a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. You can get books like Eat Right for Your Blood Type, Why We Get Fat by Gary Torbs, Paleo Diet for Athletes, or even The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. So to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash the wellness couch again that's audibletrial.com forward slash the wellness couch for your free audiobook this has been a production of the check us out on facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash the wellness couch subscribe to each show on itunes and check us out on twitter the wellness couch streaming wellness into your lives Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.